electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Stabilizing stocks, a drop in yields gives the bulls a much-needed boost today. So is the market setting up for a late-year run? We'll discuss and debate with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Josh Brown, Kerry Firestone, Jim Laventhal, and Surat Sethi. Let's check the markets here. Got a pretty good day going. We're basically at the highs of the day. There's the Dow, good for near 1%, 270 or so. S&P is over that level, as is the NASDAQ. I would offer up maybe the most impressive thing that's been going on lately, the Russell 2000 is pacing for a five-day win streak. So if you're bullish on the economy, you think we're going to have a soft landing, a really beaten-up area of the market, small caps, nice boost today. Got oil stabilizing, the 10 years the lowest in a week, and Josh Brown, that to me is the big story today, but pick yours. I think yields and I think uh, and I think the the steepening in the bond market is really it. I think you nailed the judge. Uh, yields today are down for every duration. And actually in the belly of the curve is where you find them down the most. The five year, the seven year, uh, both down 14 basis points to 4.6 and 4.65 percent respectively. Think about uh, all the the uh, steepening that we've seen in that inverted yield curve, uninverting right before our eyes on an accelerating basis. The 10 year, two year spread is now uh, 30 basis points, 0.3 percent. It's the steepest we've seen the curve since October of 2022, one year ago. So we have done a lot of work in the bond market. The 10 year three month, which is what uh, uh, Campbell Harvey used, is uh, right now negative uh, 85 basis points. Remember, that was almost uh, that was almost negative 2% in June of 2023. So we have made a lot of progress. And then you think about the stock side of the equation. You have an S&P 500 currently trading at an 18 forward PE, mid caps at a 13 forward PE, small caps 12. S&P growth is still 20, a 20 forward PE. If, you, if people are talking about all oh, the markets undervalued or hasn't come down enough, that's what they're talking about. S&P value is a 16 forward PE with a steepening yield curve. I think we're in a good situation right now between mm-hmm. now and year end. I right. like the strength that we're seeing in leadership, and I like where valuations stand. I go back to Jimmy Goldilocks, right? Um, that's what we talked about the last yeah. time you were on, because the market is reacting as if that may be the case, or it's trying to buy into that story. Whether it holds or not is anybody's guess, and earnings are going to be a good tell on that, the movement in yields, et cetera. I got the NASDAQ 100 above the 50-day for the first time since September 15th. NASDAQ's up 4.5% in a week. So, I mean, you can pick your spots of where the 
what would be perceived to be more bullish signals are coming from. Yields down, small caps up nicely along with the Nasdaq. So when last we talked, Scott, it was Friday, that Goldilocks jobs report. And that was a very good, for me anyway, fundamental reason why the market should rally, and it did. Now, the last two days, I think the market has rallied primarily because of yields coming down, but I don't like why yields have come down. It's this exogenous issue in the Middle East, which is on a human level just beyond tragic, but it's not a fundamental reason to me why the market should be rallying. I understand Disagree. rates are down. Hang, hang on, hang on, Josh. Let me just flesh this out fully, if you will, to use your term. Let me cook. Um, the, where you get more fundamental backing for this rally, in my opinion, is Thursday. If you get a CPI that comes in softer than expectations, right? Headline right now, it's expected 3.6%. Core is 4.1% year over year. You come in below that. This market is, I think, then going to put to bed the idea that the Fed's raising rates anymore. And if the Fed is done and the market grasps that, then what the market is going to say is this economy is strong. This economy looks good. Look at the labor market. Look at where GDP is estimated. Look at ISM manufacturing bottoming, clearly coming out of the recession it's been in. And there's a lot to be bullish. That would then be backed mm-hmm. up by earnings. But the sine qua non for me right now is Thursday's CPI. That's the fundamental factor I'm looking for. Okay, let's, I mean, let's just go point counterpoint. Josh, you were saying I disagree. I heard you, but why? Uh, both Lori Logan and Philip Jefferson, two, uh, two Fed speakers in the last couple of days, have explicitly mentioned the fact that the work that I just referenced being done in the long end of the curve might allow uh, for the Fed to calm down a little bit. Market conditions are doing their work for them. Mm-hmm. That could be the end of rate hikes that we've seen this year. So I just disagree with uh, what Jimmy said about the geopolitical uh, reasons being the sole reasons that we've seen the bond market uh, sure. pull off. He didn't, sure. he, didn't so necessarily I, I, say, he didn't say it was the sole reason, no. but well, it but certainly I, might be a reason. But, Josh, your, your point's well taken. I mean, it's Mary Daly last week alluded to the same thing. You've got, as we said, Logan, Jefferson, Bostick, <laughs> Kerry. I mean, the, you know, every Fed speaker in a week that's busy of Fed speakers is starting to suggest that the bond market's done a lot of our work for us. Maybe we just, you know, can, can do nothing. Um, from here. But the Nasdaq, I want you to just dial in on that because it's taking a cue uh, from the movement lower in rates. As I said, the 100s above the 50 day for the first time in, in near a month. Yeah. So when we talk about the Nasdaq, I I think there's two things to consider. One is that it's represented by the biggest names. So the Nasdaq is Alphabet, Amazon. Yeah, big seven. We know them. These these names are all having a move. They slowed down for a while. They led the market for the first half of the year. Then it appeared that there was more participation. Now they've come roaring back in part because of their defensive qualities and not just their offensive qualities. If they can play play both offense and defense, which this type of market where we don't have a push toward higher rates, where inflation is coming down, where we're in a soft landing and maybe moving into a more sustained growth period. Well, they play offense say, by playing, they just by yes, being themselves. That's right. They have exactly. you know, great balance sheets. So that's, yeah. by, that's playing offense, maybe more tried and true growth and earnings relative so, to some it, other more cyclical sensitive areas. Exactly. That's, that's what you're talking and, to. And, Wolf and the, today, by the way, says of the big seven, likely to outperform from now to year end, and by the way, Wolf, as we know, has been more negative than most, right? Likely to outperform from now to year end as they are initially viewed as defensive into higher for longer interest rates and a slowing 
intermediate-term growth outlook. So yeah. your point. So you, you, you get you get both offense and defense. And on the Russell 2000, many names of the Nasdaq are smaller cap, and they are starting to show a little bit of life, and they have been left behind all year. So that's because the economy could be stronger than expected next year without a recession. So, Surat, what stands out to you the most? I mean, we, we obviously have the introduction of a you know, a new degree of geopolitical risk this week, undeniable. Um, the rate story remains probably the most important, but the signs that are coming from the overall more bullish picture on the economy would be from the small caps, perhaps. Um, what stands out? So I think the idea that Jimmy was talking about, if you take the uncertainty out of, are we going to raise rates, then you can have companies, you can have investors say, hey, I now know what I'm facing. And if I know now what I'm facing, I'm going to start dipping back in. So you have a combination of fundamental investors coming back in and you get algos who are saying, hey, you get a sloping curve that's positive in our favor. You're going to get more capital coming in. It's going to come out of treasuries. It's going to come out of fixed income. And to Jimmy's point, if we get some type of numbers that are good to say, hey, inflation's softening, I think you could be off to the races, at least for the short term, because you've had so much of a pullback based on these negative numbers that we've been receiving. The knock on some of these mega cap growths from, you know, some of the you know, people who don't like them here is valuation, right? They claim that they're too rich. But Josh, if you look, let's say Alphabet hitting a new 52 week high today, I mean, you could easily make the case that an Alphabet or a Meta, because I hear it all the time, that those are growth at a reasonable price, yeah, they are. a term we you know, haven't used in a while. Um, but we can use it now because comm services are at a 52-week high. Alphabet hits a new one in its own right. Reiterated overweight uh, today at Wells Fargo. Everybody on the desk owns it. But, Josh, you've been talking about it for a long time. And everybody, when they do talk about it, says, well, relative to some of the others in that group, it's cheap. It is cheap. It's also uh, an excellent executor. They don't shock investors on a regular basis. They don't really have huge problems hanging over their head. Yes, there's like an antitrust thing out there, um, but there always has been and there always will be. There are some concerns about next year that, uh, number one, the way that people search might change because of AI. I would argue it's an opportunity for Google as much as it is for anyone else. There are some concerns about uh, acquisition costs of traffic. Remember, they've got uh, you know the, the deal with Apple to send uh, traffic to the Google search engine from iOS. There are some potential things hanging out there, but they're 2024 stories. Between now and the end of the year, to me, Alphabet seems to be the one, maybe Microsoft too, amongst the Magnificent Seven that really just, they don't seem to have any potential hiccups in front of them. There aren't any uh, substantial negatives there. And in the absence of that, people are going to gravitate toward these stocks, especially if they're active managers running equity portfolios and they severely trail the market. Those people are not reaching for NVIDIA. It looks ridiculous. That Alphabet is the name that they can buy and I think feel better about the fact that they're in the game. Let's not forget, uh, January 23rd, okay? Feels like forever ago. Uh, Microsoft announces the, the deal, Jim, with ChatGPT and OpenAI. Um, Google's only up 41% since then. On a day where many left it as one of the suboptimal seven, not part of the magnificent because the perception was they dropped the ball. They let Microsoft get this, this big lead. No, I know. And nor Bill Ackman either, uh, by the way, because you remember what he told me at Delivering Alpha. Let's listen to what he said about why he owns it, why it's such a large position, and why he's bought more. ChatGPT was launched, the incredible game-changing kind of product. 
and Google really fumbled their offering. And so people said, oh my God, Google's way behind on AI, and the stock sold off to you know, 15 times earnings uh, for one of the greatest businesses in the world. And you know, we did a fair bit of work, but they took a much more cautious launch approach, and I think, and then kind of fumbled an early demonstration, made people think they were behind in Microsoft and ChatGPT would sort of, if you will, OpenAI would eat their lunch. Uh, and, and it led to a very mispriced uh, stock. And then we actually, we've bought more in the 120s. Uh, it's our second largest investment. All right, bought more in the 120s. I mean, Carrie, it's your biggest position and it's now sitting at 140, as we said, a new high. Yeah, and we still think it's very attractive. It's our largest position and it's 20 times next year's earnings. And yes, okay, that's a little higher than the market, but considering the growth and remember, when you type in a question and search now, Google answers the question because it's, first of all, remembered the words that you want to type and it finishes the question. It doesn't, you, you can type, what is Scott Wapner's, and then birthday it will give you, and then you're going to get the birthday, oh right? So <laughs> it, it's given you questions and answers. So I, I, I think the amount of intelligence that they have put into already the search engine is phenomenal, and that's just going to keep building. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, Sorak, go first. But, but to your point, and I think the danger that Josh has identified is already built into the price. Yeah. The stock, it should trade at 30 times, given the growth rate, but it trades at a lower multiple because you have potential government intervention, you have, hey, competition coming, and, you know, you've got cyclical exposure. I mean, if the economy does go slow down, Google's revenues based on advertising will come down. Correct. So I think the stock's reflecting that, but yeah. they are in, in such a great businesses where their balance sheet is so strong. And just remember, when interest rates are 5%, they're sitting on so much cash. Right. Th well, that's, that's, that's the other thing. Okay. That's the important thing. Right. When yeah. we I heard you say 20 times, it's maybe that's really, a little expensive, yeah. not for yeah. a balance sheet no, like this. Not like that. I mean, there is a fundamental reason why companies that have more cash, less debt on the balance sheet, should trade for higher multiples. Right. And it's simply that the profits don't have to be shared as much with the debt holders. Uh, so 20 times, frankly, is, is a very attractive multiple for this stock. I remember it was a few weeks after what you were talking about, uh, January 23rd yeah. or 26th, it was February 8th, I think it was, that their BARD uh, uh, program gave the wrong answer to an astronomy question and yeah. the stock crumbled, went down to the low 90s and everybody's like, Google's Doesn't done. Work, That's absolutely yeah. ridiculous. Right. They've had deep mind working for years and years. Um, they got it together. It's still attractively priced. This is the one tech stock that I'm overweight and I've been overweight for quite some time on it. It's attractively priced yeah. for a rapidly growing company. If it, even if it is true, that they ceded a leadership opportunity to a Microsoft, that doesn't mean that there's no opportunity no, of course for an alphabet. There are going to be I many think that's what happens. There are going to be many winners. Josh? I, I would say large language models already are a commodity. Uh, Meta just made Llama 2 available to everyone for free. That war is over, and there are like maybe three or four LLMs that are going to matter. And they're big. I don't mean to say commodities in that they don't have value, they have a ton of value. But where is the money going to be made? It'll be made in the SaaS layer, in the application layer. And if Meta makes Llama 2 available, uh, where are you going to run that compute? You're going to run it at AWS or Azure or in the Google Cloud. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the AI value that initially this spring had been surmised is in, in the in the GPT itself, it's just incorrect. It's people that don't understand anything 
about the, the timeline of development here and, and where the, the money is going to be made. So I think that was a huge, I think that was a huge overreaction. And if you, you have concerns about Bard getting an answer wrong, spend like an hour with ChatGPT. It just makes things up. Like, <laughs> this is brand new technology. And none of it uh, is, is immune to, to making errors. You know, a um, couple things I want to note. Um, we, we saw a, a call today that really got our attention um, in the mega cap universe, though not a mega cap stock. And I'll explain exactly what I mean. Corvo today, you guys see this? Corvo and Skyworks were both downgraded to sell uh, at City. So I'm like, oh, huh, that's interesting because they're always mentioned as part of the Apple ecosystem, Yeah. right? Corvo, for example, gets 37% of their revenues from Apple in fiscal 23. So I'm like, well, what does is, what is City's Apple analyst have on the stock if the City analyst covering semiconductors, or at least that part of that universe, downgrades those two stocks within the universe of Apple to a sell? And the analyst there has a buy rating on Apple with $240 as the price target. So I was like, well, that's kind of interesting. Now, the call today around Corvo and Skyworks is on the possibility of risk around the new phone from Huawei in China. So to me, it all trickles down to, yeah. to Apple. Carrie, how, how do you want to think about this? I thought it was a peculiar call yeah. at the same time when the analyst covering Apple, Apple has a buy. Yeah, when I saw that, I thought to myself, the analyst must think that Apple is putting pressure on its suppliers on price. So I, I was thinking their gross margin is going to be uh, pressed. So that's what I thought about, because it, it did seem very odd. Um, Apple's position, I, I don't feel is particularly challenged by Huawei's new, new phone. I mean, what we're seeing is, um, uh, you know, a modest new introduction, and it's still the dominant name. The business in China, I think, is coming back for them. People are starting to spend. I think that's a positive. But, I mean, smartphones and, have been weak. Yes, I mean, in not, general, but they're coming. I, I think they're coming out of that. Smartphones have been weak. I think the, that's the, the bigger. The real yeah. question is, think, is, what is the upgrade going to look like? What's the upgrade cycle going to look like? Well, no, I think you've just. You're right, Kerry, but that's the bigger picture Correct. for all of these Corvo, yeah. Skyworks, and Qualcomm, yeah. and Qualcomm. All right, yeah. is where are we in this long-awaited upgrade cycle that just seems to be more and more extended? The thing that I find curious about the analyst downgrade is now. Now you do it. I mean, these stocks yeah. have been just destroyed yeah. over it's the last. It's because there's a substitution risk. Guys. These yeah, are, so these that's are what we mean. frequency checks. That's what we mean from the. From but the these walk. are not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Scott, I think you have it right. I think you have it right to point out it, it, it's it's the substitution risk both in the Huawei phone, but in any in any phone. These are RF chips. This is this is not uh, cutting edge technology. This is somewhat commoditized. You could swap out one for another. It's Coke and Pepsi. And look at these. Look at the charts of these stocks. They've been going down for almost 18 months in a straight line. Two of the worst names in the group. Sure, because uh, smartphones if anything, have the downgrade been weak. is late. And, and you get Apple using their own product. I mean, one of the things, time, and we've been burnt by this, what Qualcomm, how many times? When Apple will say, you think Qualcomm's got a three-year deal, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, guess what? We're doing our own chip. What day yeah. was it? What is it? Wednesday of last week when Apple got downgraded at KeyBank? And we sort of joke, like, maybe that was like this, the call the bottom in the NASDAQ right. and the the near-term bottom in the NASDAQ and Apple. Well, Apple's up every day. Yeah, since, since then. then. Since that downgrade, yeah. Apple is literally up every single day. And I looked earlier, it was down a smidge. Now it's back positive. Um, and it's up 4% in a week. Now, a lot of these mega cap stocks in one week 
um, have really had a nice turn. NVIDIA's up 6% in a week. Microsoft's up 5.5. Alphabet up 5.5. Meta's up 7.5. Um, Tesla's up near 8. Not surprising, a more risk on NASDAQ environment Interest rates, right? is going to be yeah, good. It's uh, thing, Tesla's yeah. going to be a participant in that. By the way, you know that Thursday, Surat marks the, uh, the alleged bottom a year from October of uh, 22. Paul Tudor Jones on Squawk, recession likely, stock market will decline about 12%. That's what he offered up today. I mean, I listen to him when he's on because he makes yeah. some really great points um, every time he's on. What about this idea, though? I mean, recession likely, stocks may decline about 12%. Yeah, if you, look at, if you look at the market weighted, maybe that happens. But if you look equal weighted, there's a lot of opportunity. We were just talking about, the, the, you know, the small caps and the mid caps. So there's plenty of opportunity at 490 other three stocks. And, and if you get multiple compression and we're right that advertising slows down and you get some multiple compression on the big stocks, uh, you still have other places to play. And that's why being in the index is going to be tough, but you can play around the edges, and I think you can do well. But he's been negative this year, hasn't he? I, I think that for most of this year, yeah, he's that been doesn't negative. Mean, like, he's an, obviously he's an astute enough in, investor that Correct. if he sees something different, he'll call it differently. Yeah, but the, but the recession... What he's, what he's oh, been, a lot of people were... I understand, but negative. the recession call is one that many people have made from the beginning of the year, the end of last year, and it hasn't happened, and the likelihood seemed higher over the past couple of months, and now it's coming back down, perhaps again if we don't get another rate hike. So, and, and you know, the, it's... What, why do we get the recession, right? Are we getting the recession because the Fed went too strong, or are we getting yeah. it because we have a demand issue, right? And so I think that's where we have to kind of say, if, if it's the first, then, you know, you could be down 12%. And the other side... Yeah, I don't think it is. Only so, bring it up because, yeah. again, you're two it's, days away from the one-year anniversary, Jim. Of, of the October bottom uh, in an environment where, you know, not everybody is on the same page suggesting, well, we're good and we're going to have a soft landing. There are, you know, a number yeah. of people who still think, well, that was a bottom, probably wasn't the bottom because this whole thing has not been a new bull market. It's been a bear market bounce. So there's there a lot, lot of voices on I, that. Yeah. So let's start with this. I'm glad there is a wide array, array of thoughts. I worry when everybody's on the same page, That's which, true. by the way, at the beginning of this year, everybody. I mean, remember how many people had their models saying 100 percent chance of recession? That's ridiculous. Anybody who walks in your office and says they're 100 percent certain of anything in the future, just throw them out of your office. But back to the bigger point, go back a year ago, right? If a year ago any of us said that we're not going to be in a recession, any of us besides me, sorry, I am going to pat myself on the back on this. Any of us said we're not going to be in don't a recession a year from I'm now. Gonna, I'm going to pat you too, because <laughs> don't yeah. hurt yourself. You know, but no, people were punching. <laughs> me in the face on this, right? I mean, with, here's the thing. That decline last year was predicated on a recession this year that simply didn't happen. So the market should be up. And as we look at the economy right now, I'll pick a statistic that matters to me. 200,000 for weekly jobless claims. This economy is not close to recession. As for the risks, and of course I respect Mr. Tudor Jones, but we could take a look at, you know, resumption of student loan payments or inflation or whatever. There are always risks, folks. You've got to ask what's priced in the market. The market's a lot cheaper than it was two months ago. And you know what's not priced into this market still is the possibility that we have a nice soft landing and just keep keep growing our economy. All right, so let's do this. Let's take a quick break. Uh, we still have a, a new move uh, from Surat that we're going to get to, uh, which is a play on the economy, I think, for sure. And we'll do that when we come back. We'll have our calls of the day. One Wall Street firm calling this auto-related stock best in class. Carrie owns it. We'll get her take next.
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Right, told you about a new move that our guy Surratt has. Uh, you bought FCX, Freeport yeah. Mac Moran. We did. So a couple of things here. One is balance sheet looks a lot better than it was years ago. So when you're going into a commodity, you want to make sure. So we talked about cash flow is important. Secondly, the demand for copper is going to increase over time. And why do we think that? Well, it's already built into infrastructure, utilities. But if you look at the demand for EVs, you look at the demand for wind turbines, all the things that are going to be increasing down the road, that's copper. And then you look at the supply side. Well, it takes eight years to get a new copper mine up. And Freeport's got some of the best assets in North America, Indonesia. And at this price and kind of where we are, it's a great place to also play inflation because if rates are going to stay higher for longer, which we think they're going to be, I want to be in some commodities. I want to be in energy. I want to be in places that are going to actually partake in in an economy that will do well. You use the words over time. Um, Is that suggesting that this is a long term hold? So I for think, you, I don't know what your typical yeah, time frame is. Yeah, this would be a three-year hold that, that we're thinking, we, you know, it, it, look, if rates go to back to 2%, you're not going to do very well with a free port. But if rates stay at Even if the, what, what if, well, if that's go, an interesting if, perspective. If I mean, what if rates come down, but the economy, isn't this the play on this Yes, but rates economy? go to 2% because they need to get the economy back restarted then you're, you're going to be hurt in this stock initially, right? Because demand will just be completely cut off. Well, what if rates just go lower because inflation comes down, but the economy stays strong? I, I think that's for, I mean, that could happen and the stock will do really well. But I think if, if rates stay up higher and you get demand going, they have pricing power in copper and you're going to do well either way. What about China and demand for copper given the squirreliness of their economy right now? If that is a pleasant upsize uh, built into the stock. So right now, we're not forecasting that the demand for copper from China is going to do anything for the stock. This is more demand outside, especially as we've become more, uh, what I would say, onshoring world. So a company like Freeport that is in mainly North America and Indonesia can then can supply to different countries as well. Jimmy Princeton, is squirreliness a word? <laughs> well, yeah, freshman year, I took vocabulary 101. Did Squir- I? Squirrely is a wor- word. I said squirreliness. Oh, yeah, I'll take it. Yeah. Okay. I'll take it, Alex. All right. <laughs> <laughs> what about FCX? 
uh, FCX. Freeport. Yeah. Oh, well, I think it's, you got to really believe the economy. Wait a second. Tra- she's a growth manager. Yeah. Really this, this, she, this stop, is, I don't think manager. she's looked at Freeport. In, in, yeah. in, in, I haven't looked at it in 25 years. Yeah, it's, it's not in her. But okay. I think that if Surratt thinks that the cycle is turning, I'm with him. Okay. All right. Um, we'll take that, I guess. Josh, any interest in Freeport? No. Excellent. <laughs> Steve Kovac. That's the shortest answer I've ever so heard. Steve George Kovac, do you, what do you think about Freeport? I don't know. Uh, how about the headlines? <laughs> Thank you, Scott. Yeah, here's your CNBC News update at this hour. The Gaza Strip is calling for international aid. The United Arab Emirates president pledged $20 million for the region. State media reported the support will be directed through the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestinian refugees in the Middle East. Egypt's foreign minister said the country is also working to deliver humanitarian aid to Gaza. Also, interim House Speaker Patrick McHenry opened the floor today after Kevin McCarthy was ousted last week. McHenry told reporters that the goal is to elect a new speaker by the end of the week. So far, two GOP leaders have formally entered the race, Representative Steve Scalise and Jim Jordan. Republican lawmakers will return this evening to hear from both those candidates. And finally, Alan Weisselberg, he's the former chief financial executive for the Trump organization. He took the stand today in Donald Trump's New York fraud trial. Weisselberg has said he was aware that the square footage of Trump's tower apartment was listed incorrectly when determining the property's value on financial statements. He claims that he was focusing on other things because the apartment size was only a fraction of Trump's wealth. Trump is not in court today to watch Weisselberg testify. Scott, I'll send things back over to you. All right, Steve Kovac. Thank you very much. Coming up, a big buy call we told you about in the car space, plus more reaction to Pepsi's better than expected quarter. All that and more when we return. Let's get to our calls of the day now. I'm going to give you some tickers that you're you're ready for, okay? You good? Yes. O-R-L-Y. What is that? O'Reilly. Okay. Yeah. Initiated, outperformed today. Price target 1100 They say it's best in class. Yeah, it's definitely best in class. I mean, this has been an interesting stock because it's outperformed over the last 12 months, but the stock has actually underperformed this year. The S&P's up about 15%, O'Reilly 8.5%. And, you know, it had such a strong move because people were driving more. It started with COVID and they weren't traveling outside. Then they started to travel and use their money in other ways. But now we think, you know, the stock has come in. We sold some earlier this year. This call, I think, is by someone who's who's more recently, you know, spending time with it, it does have a great do-it-for-us type of, um, it, you know, environment. It's got a, a reasonably priced stock. It's not cheap. It's 22 times next year. But it, it has good same-store sales growth, and we think it has more to go. And it's certainly both defensive and I think the UAW strike could be a positive for them in the near term. Okay, PYPL. PYPL is PayPal. There you go. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, buy reiterated Mizuho, 92 bucks price target. What do you uh, think? That would be great. I mean, 92 is up. Upside. Well, yeah. Is that realistic? It's over 50. Yeah, there's 60% upside. Yeah, sure there is. I mean, this is a stock that was, you know, 400. 
I mean, we can yeah, well, go. Netflix we can was go. 700. I mean, it would, okay. what do you mean? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Come on. No, it's it's under 10 times earnings next year. It is under 10 times earnings. Okay. So okay. definitely there's plenty of room. And they've got the PayPal bot and they have Braintree and they've got Venmo. And these are the platforms in which they operate. This is a market that's been under stress because of competition. You know, everybody thinks about the payment space is difficult. But this is not a company that's going away. It is a very good product. And we think, yes, it does have a lot of upside. Jimmy? Well, I sold it a couple of years ago. That was good. Um, that was smart. You know, but at the yeah. same time, I sold Salesforce, which wasn't smart. I look at this and I see no moat to competition. Um, and I think that's a big issue, right? I mean, w- when somebody says, hey, can you Venmo me? I say, can- can't I do it on Zelle? It's easier for me to do it on Zelle. Um, and I think that's indicative. Visa that's and MasterCard. Good. V- okay. Yeah, okay. Visa and MasterCard are not sitting still as these uh, payment platforms eat into their business. It's just too competitive a space right now. I know it's cheap, but this looks to me like a value trap. Josh Brown? This, I mean, this is not for me. I, I've, I've fought my battles in this space. They haven't gone well. I'm not waiting, I'm not waiting back in. I think this is better, uh, better for someone else to, to bang their head against the wall now. Okay. Do you have any opinion on um, Zelle versus Venmo that Jimmy says he doesn't like Venmo? It's too difficult. I didn't say it's too difficult. I said it's difficult. annoying. It's annoying. <laughs> difficult it's annoying. to use? It's really easy. <laughs> no. Annoying. Scott. All right. Scott, you're teeing your there are, uh, there are six there, there are six-year-olds that I, that I pay for okay, lemonade with, uh, with Venmo. <laughs> Congratulations, how, how hard is it? <laughs> I mean, you never know. Mike Santoli's next with his midday word. We're back. Senior Markets Commentator Mike Santoli joining us here at the desk uh, for his midday word, which is? Uh, well, we were looking for the yield move to uh, confirm what we indicated yesterday, and it's been even more dramatic, I think, than you might have expected. So last week, uh, I was talking about, everyone was talking about how bonds, if anything, were even more oversold than stocks, uh, and stocks were getting pretty oversold. And it, the, the kind of impediment to get a, getting out on the long end and deciding to lock in some of these yields was it just seemed like a runaway train, and you want to see the momentum break. So I thought 4 6 on the 10-year was the level where you could look and say that's you know, plausibly a peak. It looks like a top on the chart. We're not there yet, mm-hmm. but it seems like the market's not waiting around. So all those areas that were really cheapened uh, in the cyclical areas of the market that, you know, getting a little relief today. But this, it, the market always rushes to its next test. I mean, that's always what happened. So everyone was saying, you know, uh, you got to get 4375 40, 40, to 4405 right? and get back into this gap from three or four weeks ago. So that's where we are already. Uh, we'll see if, uh, if it has any legs besides really just getting uh, people who are caught off sides being too negative. Small caps? Uh, yeah. Let our show talking about this move. One and two-thirds percent today. Same story. You know, it's the part of the market that has been uh, really left out. It's still got a suspect trend. I, I'm all on board with that. I don't know if you want to say uh, it's about to pick itself up and become a leadership. But, you know, you're getting a little bit of the pressure taken off. And it's, uh, it's responding, at least, uh, at this point. 
And, you know, I just keep saying, I, you, did, did it make sense to overthink it? The seasonal stuff, you get oversold in, uh, into early October, uh, and the big thing that everyone was afraid of all of a sudden becomes less scary on rates, and we'll see how far that takes Speaking us. Speaking of overthinking it, um, downgrade Apple at your peril. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, I know we joke about it, but the stock is up every single day since that call midweek sure. by KeyBank last week. It is. Um, look, I mean, when the market, as I always say, if the people are feeling better about the market and you're going to raise your exposures because you feel like you're not participating, you know, 7% of your money goes to Apple <laughs> if you buy the index. But so look at these numbers I mean, in a week. You know, yeah. NVIDIA's up 6%. Apple's up a little more than 4 But Microsoft Alphabet yeah. hits a new high today as well. Meta, 7%. Broadcom, almost 7 uh, Tesla, more than 8 the leadership remains that until further, uh, you know, pr- disproven. Although I still say it's it's the big call is is the cyclical stuff cheap enough and discounting a worse outcome in the economy that we're going to get. Yeah, I mean, you guys are like primo value players, right, Surat? Sure. How about that? The the perceived value areas. I mean, look, I I, I will consistently say if. The, the, if we get an economy that's more of a soft landing, the value stocks are going to do well. They yeah, but I mean, not. you have to, are you, yeah, I get that. But are you playing for that now or not? Yes. They're either cheap now Absolutely. or they're not. Yes. Forget well, about I'm, later. Absolutely. I'm playing for it now. I'm well, in these stocks. Allow me to help my friend here. Thank you. Absolutely, we're playing yeah. for that, Scott. I, I don't think there's any question about that. I mean, whether it's airlines, whether it's material stock, whether it's energy, energy. whether it's financials. Right. I mean, these are the things you hear me get passionate about. And it's a call on the economy. I mean, Atlanta Fed just updated today. They've got it at 5.1%. Is that too high? Of course it is. But what if it's, you know, what if the third quarter is three and a half, four percent That's a huge number. And there's momentum to that. So, you know, we look at these prices for these cyclical stocks. They're dirt cheap because they're pricing in a recession that just seems further and further away. Yeah, it's interesting. Energy in a week is nothing. It's, yeah. it's flat. Yeah, exactly. It gave a lot of it back. It gave a lot of it back at a time where, you know, you could make the case that, wow, especially after this, as we said, this new risk introduced in in the Middle East. Yeah. um, But if it's not getting into the commodity price, it's not going to get into the stocks, you know. Um, So I I feel like it's whatever time frame you want to use for energy, you could call it this kind of stalwart outperformer. It hasn't given back a lot of the gains from last year. Or it's just kind of this mean reversion move. You look at it on a five-year, it's nothing special. All right, good stuff. I'll see you in a couple hours. That's Mike Santoli. With his midday word coming up, the Pepsi Pop shares higher after beating estimates. Surratt owns it. He'll give us the trade next. shares of Pepsi. There they are trading higher by some 2%. That's after a beat and raise quarter. Surat, you own it. Talk to me. I do. I mean, last week was, you know, the stock went down 5% with Coke and the Zempic fears. Pepsi is one of these companies, Scott, I want to own in the next two to three years because they have pricing power. They have secular growth. They've really mixed. They've changed the mix into snacks that are doing well. And I think the company, in terms of balance sheet, increasing its dividend, you want to have this as part of your core portfolio. Josh Brown, your final trade last Friday, you, you mentioned Pepsi as a matter of fact. Uh, so come on, come on, look at the chart. 
It's a, a, obscenely overdone. You're talking about the pullback. W what do you think about this here? Yeah. Yeah, I still think it's I still think it's a buy. I'm not in the stock, and I know it's had a nice bounce off of that level. I think it was like 160 or 159 when I first mentioned it. Uh, I don't believe the story that all of a sudden everyone's going to give up Frito-Lay and uh, full sugar soda. Uh, I do believe that there could be some behavioral changes at the margin. You have 20 million people around the world currently on GLP-1 inhibitors. I understand that there will be some truth to that story. I think it's way overdone in the price of the stock, and today's results bear that out. So uh, one thing that we shouldn't underestimate is Coke and Pepsi's ability over the decades to move when it's time for them to move and to make changes in the product they're selling to reflect the, 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 the no, no pun intended, the, the taste of the next generation. So Pepsi has done that over and over again, and I think the stock's okay here. Jimmy. Bah. I, I, I'm sorry. I love my guys, Josh and Surratt. I hate these two stocks, Coke and Pepsi. I just hate them. Are right, you going to make me pay 20 times earnings for a stock that long-term grows earnings at 8%? I mean, I don't think you're going to lose money on it. I'm not saying go short Pepsi, but I just can't get excited about it. I'm sorry. I can't. I, mean, the, the, I know I'm a value, value guy. The valuations do come down a bunch. That's part of the point yeah. of why some like it here. 3% dividend yield. It's even what, you know, what Adam Parker was talking about yesterday. Yield. 2.4% dividend yield, 20 times forward earnings, 8% long-term growth. Gives it a peg ratio of 2.4. If you tell me a peg ratio of 2.4 and you tell me that's for Amazon, well, at least there's something exciting there. You know, there's Amazon Web Services. There's whatever they're going to do in pharmaceuticals. Pepsi, we're going to the sell premium like a few valuation, more cases of Pepsi. Yeah, go ahead. Jimmy, the, the, premium, the premium valuation historically has been as high as uh, 40% over the S&P. It is significantly less of a premium valuation now than you've had to pay in like three to five years. And the thing I would tell you is the reason it gets that premium valuation is because of its very, very, very long history of raising the dividend, of executing, of finding new growth around the world. They are better at this than almost any other publicly traded company. They've Josh, been at it for 100 years. That's Josh, why investors pay up. I say this with tongue in cheek and with my arm around your shoulders. Go, go buy 100 shares, and in a year, you're going to be bored. You're going to be like watching paint dry. What about, you I say, mean, but of staples in general, you suggest they're, ex, they're expensive. They are. They are. Still? They, most of, yeah. They got overvalued. They, over they were very expensive. Now they're expensive. Now, I'm not saying, and by the way, I'm not saying it's about Pepsi. I'm not saying if Josh buys it, it's going down. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm is saying GM is I exciting? can't get excited about this. Yes, it is exciting. Is General Motors exciting? It is exciting. It's the exciting. same price for 13 years. That has nothing, that has no bearing on where the price is going. Has no bearing whatsoever. But yes, Josh, it is exciting to answer your question. What, I didn't mean to turn this personal. I know when since you're well, coming it's at me, it's not personal. It's, I was going to bring it up. No, dead. Okay. I'm being I'm being serious. For, for 13 years, too. it's been between 30 and that 40. That has no bearing on that's where it's exciting. going next. That's it has. That's right. It Where's has it no bearing next? on where it's going next. Surat. Yeah, Surat. Um, staples are one of your biggest there are. exposures, right? So why are you sitting there like a bystander? Because I'm just watching these two go at it. Right? All right, it's well, kind of entertainment. Let's okay, go. No, so, so why do I own Staples? <laughs> it's part of a core portfolio. Cooks, I have a diversified core portfolio. I have 60 stocks in there, and I want defensive stocks in Jimmy there. Jimmy says they're boring and they're too expensive. They are boring. 
their prices have come down. Now they're not gonna, you're not gonna sit there and, and look at them and say, wow, look at the new product coming out of Diageo or yeah. you know, look, look at Constellation Brands. But I like these companies. I think they fit in a diversified portfolio. If you get an economy that doesn't do what we expect it to do, I want some downside protection, and this is what I'm gonna look for. Yeah, right. they'd be defensive. Scott, yeah, yeah, that would, Scott wrap it up real quick, Josh, because I got some breaking stuff I wanna get to. Go ahead. Okay, fair enough. 20-year average annual returns of 9% on Pepsi. I don't understand how that's boring. It, it makes absolutely no sense to me. Well, then why don't you buy some shares? I may. Okay. Lay by the bay. All right. I, I look forward to more updates from a Pepsi shareholder. All right. Josh Brown. All right. Let's, let's All right. move it along. All right. Let's, let's, uh, <laughs> I do want to bring in um, Julia Borston now because we have noticed of, of all of the you know, key NASDAQ-related stocks today, Netflix, uh, Julia, is down, moving lower on some headlines that we noticed uh, that you can tell us about. What's happening here? Yeah, Scott, Netflix shares taking a dip on two articles that I'm going to point out. One is The Guardian reporting that Netflix's U.K. subscriber growth slows to its lowest since the British launch. And then The Information has published an article about Netflix's ad shakeup. The company recently replaced its ad sales chief, Chief Jeremy Gorman, who had come over um, from Snap with a longtime Netflix executive, saying that turning Netflix into an ad goliath is proving tougher than the streaming giant expected. Also saying that as of June, Netflix's ad sales and ad-supported subscriber numbers were roughly half of what staffers had initially projected internally for 2023. And of course, I just have to point out that we will be hearing earnings from Netflix next week. So a lot of focus, of course, we always focus on that subscriber growth, even though they're trying to uh, direct the investors to focus more on profitability. Yeah, um, it's interesting, and I know we'll, we'll learn more from you next week when, when they report, but it does seem that this uh, subscriber growth from the ad tier especially looks to be much, much slower than the company ever anticipated it might be. Yeah, this, this idea that it's really hard to build um, an advertising engine, I, I think that's really what this all comes down to. Netflix has always been very careful to say that we know this is a long game. We're going to be building this slowly. We want to get the ad product out there quickly and then iterate on it and keep on growing and iterating and learning. Um, and they warn this is going to be a long process. But the question is just just how long is it going to take them to get there? And at what point will advertising really be uh, be a top line driver for this company? Yeah, we will. As I said, we'll learn more next week. Uh, and you're going to deliver us those earnings. I know. Julia, thank you. It's Julia Borston. Final trades are up next. Welcome back. We have breaking news on the Sam Bankman-Fried trial. Our Kate Rooney live outside the courthouse in lower Manhattan. Kate? Hey, Scott. So Caroline Ellison has taken the stand, going out with opening testimony. The prosecution really coming out swinging. We would call it an explosive 10 minutes we just heard from the prosecution going right into it, saying, did you commit financial uh, crimes when you were at Alameda? She was the, head, the CEO of the hedge fund at Sam Bankman-Fried. Ran, she said yes, unequivocally. They had her stand up and look around the courtroom to try and find Sam Bankman-Fried. They said, with who? She said, with Sam Bankman-Fried and other people. She got up, kind of pointed around and found Sam Bankman-Fried, said that yes, 
he was part of this. The one quote I want to read you, Scott, she said that Sam directed me to commit these crimes. So pointing directly at him, saying that he was the one who was directing her to commit these crimes, also said that they had this unlimited line of credit that we've heard before, that received money directly into bank accounts from FTX customers into Alameda, and that Sam was the one who set up systems and directed the executives to use customer money. So saying explicitly in the first 10 minutes that Sam Beckman-Fried directed her to commit financial crimes. Her demeanor, Scott, relatively calm for the, the weight and severity of this. She was very, very calm considering the circumstances. We also just heard from Gary Wong, who just hopped in an Uber behind us actually on his way out. He was another FTX insider, but we are getting uh, her side of the story. She has not talked about this case since pleading guilty last year, but we're expecting to get a little bit more color. We're going back in there about an hour. They're breaking for lunch at this point, Scott. Yeah, pretty damning testimony. Kate Rooney, thank you. You bring us any updates throughout the rest of this day. That's Kate Rooney outside the courthouse, just a few blocks from where we are. Uh, a reminder what's coming up on Closing Bell today as well. Pretty good market day underway. We'll track the final hour with Liz Ann Saunders of Schwab. Uh, Shannon Sakosha is going to be with us, and Dave Albright, too. Perfect day uh, for Dave to be with us, focusing on credit, what's happening in the bond market, where yields are heading, and the best way to make money uh, off of all of that. Let's do final trades. Josh Brown, what do you have for us today? I'm staying with Alphabet. I think this name wants 150. Okay, thank you. 139 was about 140 uh, during the program today. Thank you, Surat Sethi. Uh, I'm sticking with Uber. I think you've got a couple of catalysts. Uh, one of them is back to the office. And I think as more people come back to the office, you're going to see more people starting using Uber. Um, and I think that's going to really help their cash flow, which is the catalyst for the stock. Jimmy Goldilocks. Uh, Nike. Is Nike maybe Goldilocks? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. There's a tug of war going on between the fundamental guys like me who look at that earnings report a couple of weeks ago, say it was pretty good and the valuation is very attractive, and the technicals that, or the technicians who look at this chart and say, man, is that ugly. However, possibly the chart is turning now. It's a little bit early to say that, but if this trend upwards continues, it's going to be a good-looking chart before too long. I think you buy Nike here. Carry FCX. <laughs> Thanks. CRM, that's Salesforce. <laughs> and Salesforce has been a very strong stock this year, but recently it's been in a bit of a plateau while interest rates have been rising. We think we're close to the end of that. And the software business, which has been relatively weak across the world, is picking up. That slowdown is picking up. They're the leader in CRMs. And so we think the stock has more to go. Okay. Uh, speaking of stocks, uh, we have a pretty good day Underway, we are green across the board, yields coming down, stocks up. There's the S&P, NASDAQ. I'll see you closing bell the exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, 
and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.